Hello and welcome to another episode of In the Narthex. My name is Alyssa Gubrell and I'm here today with Pastor Jeff Thune and Pastor Lucas Hattenberger of Northwest Bible Church. Every other week we sit down to discuss how the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to the questions and conversations of today. And this week we are discussing why we confess our sins. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I'd imagine that if you're part of the normal uh, family here at Northwest Bible Church, at this point you might be saying to yourself, wait, we're talking about this again? Um, But we've only ever really had a partial truncated conversation about this. I think we dealt with it just briefly on our very first podcast. And so it was something that we wanted to give a little bit more time and space to. Um, Kind of background here. Um, Our current practice here at Northwest is to uh, weekly, um, every Sunday morning, have some time of corporate confession. Uh, This is something we stress, something we believe is important, Um, but we also know that it's, it's something that Christians can tend to struggle with. Confessing your own failure, confessing your own sin, confessing your own shortcomings, your lack of belief. This is uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable practice. There's also potential objections to this practice. Some of them are more practical. Others are more theological. Practically speaking, it can feel rote, dry, religious, empty of real um, emotion, of real authenticity. It can also feel dour or depressing. Um, Like we've already said, it's something that is sobering to take a a longer look at and really meditate upon the ways that you've fallen short of representing your Christian name. Um, And it's also at times, um, yeah, there are times where it can feel forced. It can feel like, okay, I don't really feel like doing this right now, but now the worship pastor, my leaders at the church are calling me into it. And it feels like, uh, you know, it feel, yeah, it just feels like I'm not all there um, emotionally. And so do I really need to do this if I don't feel it? So those are some practical kind of objections. Theological objections, we would say, are a little bit different. Um, one would be, well, aren't we already forgiven in Christ? If I'm in Christ, if I'm surrendered to him, if I'm, you know, trying to orient my life around following Jesus, um, am I not already forgiven? And so why do I need to um, confess my sins? Um, Why do I need to repent over and over again? Isn't that actually a lack of trust in this reality that that I am actually forgiven by God? Um, So practical objections, theological objections, probably the best objection. Um, it, it, It probably sounds something like this. Does this practice, this regular practice of corporate confession, does it rightly situate me, does it rightly situate us in Christ? Meaning, theologically speaking, uh, to confess one's sins seems to downplay um, what we have in Jesus, what he has accomplished for us. Um, And so the theological also connects to the practical there. If, If I'm in Christ... Why focus on the negative? Why be so dour? Why sort of force that? After all, aren't we forgiven? Aren't we saved? Doesn't confession place us 
in a place of, of works righteousness. So in that sense, it's actually kind of going backwards. I'm actually um, putting on the old self. I need to be putting on the new self. I need to be um, consistently reminding myself of my identity in Christ, that I'm forgiven, that I'm a child of God, that I have his righteousness that robes me, clothes me. Um, and I think these are, are really good questions and questions that we um, have been asked throughout the history of the church, have been asked here at Northwest, and ones that we need to really thoughtfully consider. Yeah, I think that's helpful to hear kind of where we're going. So um, today we're going to talk through what confession looks like throughout the history of the church, um, where we see it in the Bible, and then also just the theology of confession. So first off, um, where do we see confession throughout history? Um, yeah, so um, part of the reason we confess our sins at all is just because, um, you know, we, we are Northwest Bible Church, but we're also part of the larger Christian faith in general. And um, what we've realized, uh, at least, is that throughout church history, this has been a practice of corporate, uh, corporate confession has been a normal practice. Um, throughout throughout church history and even before that, uh, so in the uh, synagogue worship that Jesus himself would have been a part of, there was um, confession of sin and repentance. But uh, we we just recognize, you know, the, the, on the, on the one hand, you know, you don't need to um, take everything that's gone before. You know, you can you can reform, you can do new things. But on the other hand, we we say, hey, you know, the church has been utilizing certain corporate practices, um, uh, and we want to receive the wisdom that is uh, th- that, that the church has. And so part of that is just saying we appreciate the wisdom that's come before and saying it's, it's a good practice to corporately confess our sins together. Um, it's a good practice uh, to, to do that. It's, it's good to receive that, that tradition. So historically, ever since the beginning of, of the church, there has been a sort of order within the church service um, where there's been a call to worship. We're called by God into his presence to, to um, worship him, to enjoy him. But then we also are called to recognize our faults, the things that we've done throughout the week. Um, now, there are other traditions that, that do this differently, um, but generally that's been, that's been a practice. And so we, we just want to appreciate um, the things that have come before that. So on the one hand... Why do we confess our sins? Because there's churches all across the centuries that have been doing this for a long time, and we recognize the wisdom in, in receiving that tradition. Second of all, there, there are tons of biblical reasons for confessing our sins, not simply individually, but also corporately. One of the, one of the biggest um, contributions to this is the epistle of 1 John. So uh, John, if you, if you read this, this epistle, 1 John, he tells... Uh, his his uh, audience over and over again to the conf- confess their sins, and you almost immediately realize that John is addressing some sort of context in which they're being told that they don't need to confess their sins, right? So First John 1 talks about, if we say we have no sin, we make God out to be a liar. First uh, John 2 says that if we do sin, we have an advocate and, and a sacrifice for our sins so we can confess our sins to God. Why, you know, and, and John over and over again. Why, why is there this repeated command to confess? So apparently there was some sort of um, 
heresy being circulated through uh, throughout this church. And it, it, it's something like this. It's something like, hey, we've already made it. We're already forgiven. We're already um, part, of the, part of God's kingdom. And so therefore, we don't need to focus on our sins. Now, this is not dissimilar uh, from some of the, the concerns that we've heard. Uh, hey, uh, we already have victory in Jesus. We're already saved. We're already forgiven. Why do I need to confess? And so John is writing, part of the reason he's writing is to curb this mindset. Now, why? Why? Okay. Well, we're, we're not totally sure of the heresy, but uh, there's an early church theologian, uh, Irenaeus, who clues us into this, uh, the fact that there was an early her- heretic named Serinthus, uh, who um, he, he was an early advocate of, of what would eventually become Christian Gnosticism, which was a heresy. But uh, apparently Serinthus was... was um, a false teacher that was influencing this this uh, this community that John oversaw. Uh, he he was um, of of the mindset of early Gnostics um, that uh, you know what it doesn't really matter what you do in this life. Um, you, you could you could um, go off and do whatever you wanted to, and you know what you're you're uh, you're ar- you're already there. You've already made it. Now what is what is Gnosticism? Well, it's it's. There were many forms of Gnosticism, but all Gnostics held uh, to this uh, belief that salvation was not really about salva- uh, being about uh, about being redeemed within this world in your body. It was really um, about escape from the physical world and the physical things that you did. They understood the physical world actually to be a prison, um, a sort of hell that you had to escape. And Jesus was um, this Savior who came into our world to get us out of it. Uh, and in fact, many Gnostics believed that Jesus uh, wasn't human. He didn't have a physical body. He was a spiritual being who only appeared to have a physical body because the physical is bad. Uh, Serenthus actually believed that Jesus was a man, but God entered into him almost like a uh, almost like a spirit entered into this man Jesus, so that he could. Uh, you know, speak through Jesus and teach through Jesus. And when Jesus was crucified, he actually left um, Jesus's body. Um, and you can actually see some of this in the God, in, uh, in the Epistle of First uh, John. Um, so, um, for instance, at the very end, uh, John says something interesting. He says that that Jesus came by water and by blood. What does John mean by that? Well, it was v- uh, very early on. There was a heresy that that um, believed that. Uh, God's spirit entered the man Jesus at his baptism and left before he died. And um, what John is trying to say is, well, God was there in his baptism, but he was also there in his death, meaning when he spilled his blood. So Jesus came by water and blood. So uh, all of this implies that, that there's some sort of weird heresy going on. Another feature, though, of Gnosticism was that because the physical world was bad, what that meant was that what you did here on this earth was pretty relevant. Um, if you're saved, you're you're uh, going to escape this physical prison. You're going to go straight to straight to heaven when you die. Uh, your body's just going to rot in the ground, and so therefore you can just do whatever you want on this earth. Uh, you, you're already saved. You're 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 already without sin. And so, therefore, you don't need to confess your sins. You could you could be a, a murderer. You could be an adulterer, and it wouldn't matter. Um, and so, why why confess your sins? You're totally free in Christ. That's kind of the idea here. And this is why John writes this letter to say, no, that's actually not what's going on here. And one of the things he stresses over and over again is that Jesus came in the flesh. 
He died in the flesh, and also that we would be saved in this world, not from this world, but in this world. And uh, what, what John just really wants us to know is, therefore, what you do in this world and in your life and with your physical body and with your hands and with your, uh, with, what you do in this life matters. And even though you have been saved, when, if, if, if you sin, you'd have to confess that sin. Uh, you, you are being saved in the present tense. Uh, you're being transformed, and it's not until your, your body is glorified in the future. And so, therefore, you have to confess your sins. If you, if you think you're without sin, you're not actually acknowledging uh, the reality of, of what's going on in your present life. Hey, you have these addictions. You have these faults. You have these failures. And uh, it's not simply a matter of, well, this isn't my body anyways. I'm just going to leave, right? So... Uh, what John really wants to stress, and this will bring us to uh, Paul, some of Paul's thought here is, we're here in this world being saved currently. We have been saved, but we are also being saved, and we also will be saved, right? So um, that's, that's one of the, the bigger parts of, of this uh, epistle. So that's kind of the first place we might start. Jeff, what do you got for us? Yeah, so uh, I would, before I move into how John... Um, and Paul agree, though their terminology might be different, how really all of the gospel writers, um, Paul, Peter, kind of all agree on this, um, but say it in different ways. I think, you know, you look at First John 1, um, and John says it pretty clearly, uh, this is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, this is what you are getting at, Lucas, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So um, John, obviously, in the, in the next chapter is going to go on and say, but, you know, um, a- anyone who does sin, <laughs> um, the implication being many do, um, that we do have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he's making it really clear, even in the first chapter, first few verses of his epistle, and then going on into chapter two, that, hey, man, there's a reality that we have to reckon with here. Yes, um, we have been you know, transformed in Christ. We are being transformed in our relationship with Christ, but we haven't fully arrived yet. Um, segue into Paul's writings and what Paul tells us. And, you know, if you're a, a theologian, if you've gone to seminary, um, you're probably more familiar with this. But even if you haven't, you've probably noticed it in Paul's writings. Um, he has what we, I guess, could refer to as um, an already not yet theology. Um, an already not yet sort of theology. 
Uh, what what I mean by that, or what maybe others who've written about um, Paul's sort of theological paradigm mean when they say that, is that yes, we've already been saved, and yet we're still here in our fallen bodies, in our flesh, and therefore there are still things being worked out in us. So what John is saying, what Paul is saying is, hey, we need to reckon with that. Um, We need to reckon with the Holy Spirit's work of applying the finished work of Christ to our lives, helping us to grow into our new identity and fully appropriate, um, yeah, this kind of sanctification process. I guess we'll come back to that in a moment. But We've already been saved. We've already been justified, reconciled, taken out of the kingdom of evil, placed into the kingdom of Christ. And yet, we await the transformation of our sinful bodies. We await the perfection. Um, uh, also, another way to say it is like we, um, we, we were saved in Christ. We are being saved and we will be saved. And I think the most appropriate scripture there, the one that we're kind of uh, paraphrasing, is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, where Paul says, hey, I, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And he goes on to talk about how um, that, you know, this gospel that you believed in which you stand and by which you are being saved. So there again, he's describing, hey, something's happened. It's definitively happened. You have been um transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life, uh, light, excuse me, but, but you're standing in that and you're even continuing to progress, continuing to be saved um, to that. Um, and so this already but not yet, I think, is, is really important. It's part of um, yeah, what Paul kind of reminds us of again and again and again. So, um, and, and it, you know, again, very easily dovetails what John tells us, what James tells us, what Peter tells us, um, kind of all over the the New Testament. And so it, it's important for us to go, hey, um, it's important for us to realize, to recognize that we have not yet experienced the fullness of our salvation. Um, resurrection ha- hasn't happened yet. And so... Um, we need to reckon with that and we need to know, hey, Christ didn't just um, die so that I could be forgiven. Like his his death also, um, in, in his death, he not only accomplished uh, my justification, he also accomplished um, and is accomplishing through his cross work and resurrection and ascension to God the Father. He's also uh, accomplishing a holiness in me. He's transforming me day by day, week by week, um, conforming me to um, the image of Christ. So important for us to recognize that and then go, okay, if that's true, since that's true, then I need to be a willing participant in that. And part of that is just, hey, admitting, like, I haven't arrived yet. I, that God is still doing this work in me. I still am tempted by the old man. I still sometimes put on the old self. And so I need to reckon with that, confess my sin, agree with God in that, 
and yet be assured again, even as I do that, assured that, okay, yeah, I have a new identity. Um, I'm a new creation. I've been bought with the blood of Christ, and um, that's, that's all part of it. That's part of the, the Christian life. Well, it would be good to bring in Jesus. But, I mean, it also, you know, the beginning line of Jesus' ministry is repent. You know, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's come in me. Um, the axe is laid at the root. You know, all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, he, he gives us this prayer to pray. And I think, you know, what we so often miss is the, you know, Jesus was, a, he's God in the flesh, but he's also a, a first century Jewish person. He did not create this this prayer from whole cloth. Um, there, there were daily prayers that the Jewish people prayed, and um, and they involved daily um, uh, p- petition for the forgiveness of sins, daily petition for God give me um, the bread that I need, um, petition for the kingdom to be to be realized. Um, what when Jesus gave us this prayer, he assumed that we would be doing something like this on a regular basis. That it would be sort of this regular daily weekly habit and in fact this is what you know so for instance when you look at the uh, book of common prayer with the um with the anglican um church they took um what was first and foremost a synagogue practice and they injected it into this book for the layperson to pray three times a day by themselves but then also to have a, a corporate um prayer that the church altogether would would pray, and it would involve singing like we do on Sundays. It would involve praying for other people, but then it would also involve the, the confession of sin. So I just think we, we can't forget that our Savior, Jesus Christ himself, was a synagogue Jew who would, uh, was situated in this, in this context, and he handed that on to his disciples. I think um, we just so often forget the, the, the historical background there with Jesus. Um, I, you guys know this, I'm in a seminary class this summer on the Old Testament. And so I've been living a lot in the Old Testament and was thinking about how we don't have um, an Old Testament section here about where we see it in the Bible. But um, as you kind of touched on it, um, how, how important um, sin was <laughs> throughout the Old Testament and how much you see that um, and the covenant that God held his people to and what they had to do when they broke it. And, um, I think it's kind of, um, yeah, maybe it's kind of obvious that (laughs) Jesus's, um, death and resurrection doesn't just erase all of that. Um, that our sin is still, it still matters. It's still important. And there's still, um, yeah, a, a part that we play in repenting of it. Um, so just thinking about, yeah, like there's, I'm sure we could have a whole other section on where we see um, repentance and confession of sin in the Old Testament um, that would ah, still. That was, Jeff was supposed to write that section. <laughs> <He>. <laughs> no, but I do think that's, that's definitely true. And, and you know, what, what you just said reminds me that even for the reformers, Sunday worship is a covenant renewal service. So it's like you come and you renew um, you, God is in covenant with us through Jesus. God renews his commitment to us, and we renew our commitment to him. Part of that is, oh, man, we've, we've broken, we failed. Well, that's based all, all off of the Old Testament covenantal um, structure in which Moses established this relationship between God and the people, and they made these commitments, right? And so each, each 
um, weekly time of worship was this covenant renewal ceremony whereby you, you recommit, you, you, you uh, confess your, your faults, your failures. Um, so, yeah, I mean, no Old Testament section. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So we've talked historical, biblical. I want to talk just a minute um, as to the theological. And it, it's important for us in this to make, um, well, two, two sort of soteriology. Soter- <laughs> soteriological. Soteriological. It's a big word. It's a big word. But what that means is concerning or having to do with salvation, right? And it's important to make a distinction. We, we've already sort of made it or um, at least referred to it. But the, the, the kind of distinction we're trying to make here is between justification and sanctification. Justification and sanctification. So by justification, we mean that um, the moment that we surrender to Christ, um, God, uh, by his grace— um, by the regenerating work of his Holy Spirit, um, gives us faith, the eyes of faith, to see Jesus and our need for Jesus. The minute that we see Jesus for who he is, our need for him, I must surrender to this one that I need, that has um, lived a righteous life, um, died my, my death, the death I should have died myself, and therefore, I need to latch on and embrace him. The minute that we do that, um, the scripture tells us that, that God justifies us. This is um, kind of legal forensic language. It means that in that moment, he declares us, he sees us, um, he sees Christ's righteousness wrapped around us and says, justified. They're justified. I can do that. I'm a righteous judge. A sacrifice has been made. Um, a righteousness has been given, um, has been imputed to, to this one who was unholy. Now they're holy. Um, they're righteous. They're justified. So that, that happens the moment that we trust in Christ, right? Um, sanctification refers to this ongoing sanctifying work by which we learn to live in that new identity, in that um, justified state, if you will. And the, the work of the Holy Spirit is to apply that work to, to help us to understand what's happened to us and to live in light of that. So there's this ongoing sanctifying, cleansing, um, making us holy sort of work that the Holy Spirit does. And so part of that sanctifying work what we're saying is part of that sanctifying work is both individually and corporately um, learning more and more what it means to be holy, what it means to live in light of that new identity, and partnering with the Holy Spirit and saying, oh yeah, that is not part of that. That is part of the old life, the old self. I need to confess that and turn from that um, and turn back to, uh, turn into, lean into who I now am. And so um, part of that sanctifying work um, is confession of sin. It's, it's con- confessing, oh, yeah, that's still part of the old. I want to repent of that and turn back to who I truly am now and the new identity I've been given. So um, 
I guess to state it differently, justification, once for all, legal declaration, you're forgiven, you're not guilty anymore, sanctification, progressive ontological reality, um, you're made really and actually holy in Christ, and that holiness grows over time, matures over time. And so that's th- those are really important just to, to know, like, hey, man, you have been justified. You are new. You are a new creation. But God is still working in you, um, still growing you into um, his, his son, his daughter. Uh, another important caveat, I guess, in this is that, that holiness um, can grow, but it, all, it can also wane based upon your own choices and actions. And so, therefore, sanctification is a lifelong process of um, progressing through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit and, at times, regressing. Um, justification is not that. It's a once-for-all declaration. You're saved. You're You're justified. Um, and yet sanctification is, hey, man, this this ebbs and flows, I guess you could say, um, based upon, um, yeah, based upon your submitting to the Spirit's work in you, um, and, and that's part of the reason why we say, hey, man, like a, a huge part of the daily Christian life is just is getting up each morning and resubmitting yourself to the Holy Spirit, resubmitting yourself. I, I need you to work in my life. I need you to continue to sanctify me. I need you to continue to remind me, help me, counsel me, guide me, and what it means to truly follow Christ, to truly live out this new identity that I have in him. So, um, yeah, what do you got to add to that, Lucas? Well, I I just think, yeah. So one way to think of it is in justification, we have God. uh, the God, the judge renders us not guilty or um, righteous because of what Christ has done. But in sanctification, that's different. And what we're saying is uh, in justification, you never, um, there is never a point at which that's broken. You, you never get further away from God as a, uh, as a justified person, but in sanctification, you can. And I think one of the things that's always helped me is this statement in the Westminster confession in chapter 11 um, so this is on justification, chapter 11, but it has some interaction on these two distinctions. It says this. It says, God does not, uh, sorry, God does continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from a state of justification, yet they may by their sins fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, and beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. This is a fascinating statement, not least because I, I could nerd out all day long on this. <laughs> on, on this, well, so first of all, we could of, probably we should probably do a whole podcast on the Westminster Confession I know, well, of Faith. Yeah, you know, we, we probably should. Um, but notice what it says at the very beginning. It says God continues to forgive the sins of those that are justified. Um, you know, a lot of times I think a lot of a lot of us we like to think of the hey, if you believe in Jesus, all your sins are immediately forgiven. Um, I think an important distinction to make is Jesus on the cross paid for all your sins, right? Past, present, future, everything was paid for. But the application of that is happening in real time, right? As you sin, God says, "Forgiven, forgiven, just you know." 
uh, well, it's not that you're being re-justified, re-justified, but forgiven, you know, um, continually, right? So there's almost like this kind of like realism that's happening here. Um, but the important part is we can never fall from our state of justification, but we can fall into God's fatherly displeasure. Hmm. Um, so, so God, um, as our now, now as our father in Jesus, so Jesus is the only begotten son of God. He, he brings us into God's household um, there are times when we um, disobey that we can fall into his fatherly displeasure. Mm. Now that sounds uh, sort of um, grumpy, and but <laughs> but I'm just saying, like as a father, I get that man. Yeah. Like there's never a point at which I stop. There's never a point where I say to my kids, "That's it, you're out of the family." But there is points where I'm like, "Man, I really am kind of disappointed in uh, or, or uh, man, I, I'm not pleased with the way that they're acting." I want to I want to let you finish that thought. Yeah. But I think, you know, I mean, you you think about it, you, like my dad had sometimes a look that he would give us, you know? Yeah. As a good earthly father, yeah, yeah. A look that he would give us that communicated like, "Hey man, that's not who we are. Right. That's not what we do." Then he'd also like, you know, at different times, just tell us that, you know, um, whether it was the old, like, well, you know, <laughs> I'm not angry at you. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> no, no. I was going to say whether that was, so whether it was a disapproving look or at times just reminding us like, Hey, that's not, that's not who you are. That's not who we are as a family. That's not how we behave. Um, and then sometimes like, that displeasure turned into discipline to help us yeah, to, sure. you know, help us to kind of snap back into, okay, yeah, the, the Thune boys, there's, yeah, there's there's a certain identity there that we need to live in. And, and I think you're describing the same thing. I think what the Westminster Confession of Faith is describing a very similar thing, right? And I think it's something that even the scripture itself um I mean, think about the Psalm 32. Uh, I think this one, let me just read it for us real quick. Um, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God's hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. But when I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. So whether it's that kind of, hey man, God's kind of displeasure sometimes rests on you and sits on you and that's actually his mercy upon you to help you to go hey something's off here like I need to turn from what I'm currently headed toward or what I've given myself to turn from that confess it turn back to him whether it's that whether it's you know the scripture talking about like it's it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He disciplines those whom he loves. Right, right. <clears throat> you know, and and that's a much different from like a Romans one, like turning somebody over. Um, this is more like um, God. God is displeased. His countenance is is uh, you know I love this phrase. The light of his countenance is not restored until we until we confess our sins. So it's almost like this. 
Yeah, it's like Psalm 32 says. It's like my I, I feel this physical weight, this burden that once I confess, it's gone, mm. right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just think that that's so like uh, what, what they're trying to say is, listen, you're in the household. You're in the family. Mm. But as a child now of the family, there are, there are different, um, uh, you know, God expects us now to be growing up into Christ. Right. Um, becoming more like him. Um, and so, you know, each Sunday it is just very helpful, I feel like, to come thinking, you know what, throughout the week, um, yeah, I, I have sinned, I have fallen short, I have displeased my father. That doesn't mean that uh, I'm going to hell, I'm, I, you know, I don't lose my justification, but his countenance, the light of his countenance, his fatherly displeasure, I need to bring those things to him and depend on his mercy. Um yeah, I, I just think, think it's a good practice. I think it's helpful to know, again, restated another way, as I do that, it actually might be my good father who's caused and is causing me um, and setting the table for me to do that, right? So if I think about it in that way, corporate confession, it's just, man, the the father, the good father has set the table for me to consider these things and to go, oh yeah, like, man, I, I want to live in, in his presence. I want to restore whatever has been broken. I want to um, minimize the separation that my sin has caused. And he's actually giving me an opportunity to do that, um, whether that's, you know, by his spirit's prompting on a daily basis or by as his church gathers, giving opportunity and space for that to occur. Well, um, so in a second, we're going to kind of summarize our final points and um, talk about why we do this as a part of our services on Sunday. Um, but as we were talking, I was kind of thinking about the spectrum of people that might be listening to this podcast. There's probably people who are like, um, like me, maybe on the more self-righteous end of the spectrum of like, my sin's not that bad. Um, you know, I, I'm a pretty good person. So, you know, on a Sunday morning when I'm prompted to confess my sins, um, you know, yeah, there's maybe, maybe a whole not, not a whole lot that I'm thinking of. Um, and so I need to be reminded of these things that, that, that my sin does matter, that it does, um, separate me from God in a sense in, in this um, displeasure. So I need that on a Sunday morning. But then on the other side, um, there's the people who come on a Sunday morning and maybe like didn't even want to come because they were so ashamed of their sin um, or people who just really struggle to believe this justification, this, um, you know, that they didn't lose their salvation because of what they did. Um, and so I think that's what's so powerful then too, that we get to lead this confession of sin leads us then to an assurance of salvation. Um, and we have the opportunity to just speak those words and share those verses um, that, that we are, um, we are saved. We are, we are um, not, we don't have to live in fear of our sin. Um, so I just think that's such a beautiful opportunity that we have on Sundays to both be reminded that our sin is grave and it matters, but also that we are so completely forgiven and loved. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we've got both of those people listening to this podcast. So I just, I, I, you know, I want them to hear that. I want them to hear that that is true. Yeah. And I, I think also just to, to add to that is, um, sometimes you don't necessarily like, have, oh my gosh, I, I, uh, murdered somebody yesterday and now's my chance to come clean. Um, 
But it could be like, because um, James talks about, um, for those who know the right thing to do but do not do it, it is sin. Um, so it, it could also be sins of what is called omission, like you, you, you're, um, you're, you're, not, you're, you're failing by the Holy Spirit to fill in you know, um, o- o- the obedience that God will empower you to do. So sometimes you just, you're spiritually lazy or you're, um, or you're wanting to develop in some sort of um, habits or virtue or something that you know can only come from the Holy Spirit. So I think sometimes those times can also be just not necessarily like um, confessing, but also, but maybe, but maybe even like God help me because I, I need to grow in this area. Um, I think that's a, that's a fair way to use that time as well. Okay. <laughs> we have a closing section that says why we do it here at NB, NWBC, but they, it is just a restatement of what we have already said. Um, it is historically rooted. It is historically rooted. It is biblical. And it is theologically, it takes the tensions of sanctification, justification seriously. Um, yeah, so I, that, that's to summarize what we have just said five minutes ago for you to remember. It's like these are like the three sermon points. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take this out, obviously. <laughs> All right, well, this is a good discussion. Shall I do an outro? <laughs> In the Narthex is a podcast of Northwest Bible Church in Tucson, Arizona, and it's our goal is really to spiritually form our own people. But if you're listening in from somewhere else, we're really glad you joined us today. And as always, if you have questions or comments or you want to discuss this more, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us podcast at northwestbible.com.